0: Thank you. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the July 10th, 2015 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the recall effort aimed at three members of the Jefferson County School Board. The three conservative members of the board are targets of the proposed recall and a rally event. To collect signatures this week, some more than 2,000 supporters. Patty Calhoun from Westford, I guess we could say we may have seen this coming. It's not like this has been a bashful group on the school board. Uh, But 2,000 people at the rally event seemed significant. What do you think?
1: Well, and it's not like recalls haven't been popular in Colorado lately. So they didn't get this out of thin air. I think we can probably say so long to Julie Williams pretty soon. She seems to be the one who... uh, cannot master her Facebook account. You know, she and George Brockler have their social media problems. And she is certainly the one who has a tougher time arguing her position. The other two, although conservative, are, I think, good, solid school board members, and I don't think they'll be recalled. But I do think this is going to go pretty far.
0: David Kopel from the Independence Institute and D.U. Law School. What do you think about what Patty said? Is it going to be separated out? I mean, A, we're assuming that the 15,000 signatures per person can can happen. But if it does, do you think voters would be picky between the three or it will be a yes on three or no on three?
2: Hopefully they'll distinguish and as Patty said, I think Julie Williams is is by far the uh, least capable uh, member of that group and the one who's gotten the rest of the board in trouble with a lot of uh, foolish, uh, barely thought out uh, ideas she has expressed uh, inappropriately. An interesting thing about the uh, petitions is that Colorado statutes, 1-12-103, says that on a recall petition, uh, the general statement may not contain any profane or false statements. Now, the petition's very good. There's no profanity in it. But <laughs> <laughs> it actually has very few... Uh, if any true statements it's mostly false so for example it says that the new superintendent is getting paid eighty thousand more dollars more than the old superintendent well that's if you don't count the benefits the old one got and you do count the benefits that the new one got it likewise says seven hundred teachers left because of the new board majority Well. That's really about the size of annual turnover they have anyway. Now, to the extent, if, I don't know if annual turnover is 550 and 700 left, then maybe you'd say there was an excess of 150. I don't know the exact figures. But it's a lie to say that all 700 left uh, because of uh, the new board majority.
0: Penfield Tate, longtime state lawmaker and attorney with Greenberg Um a few years back when republicans were using the whole recall effort uh... it was uh, progressives rather saying this is terrible this is not what politics about and then sh- what's good for the goose is good for the gander and we're hearing it right back um... what do you think the results will be from the recall effort
3: well you know i i think it's the a typical example of be careful what you wish for what you use it may be turned on you david raises some very interesting and specific points none of which i think matter at all <laughs> um, I, I i think It's hard to tell, but I'm getting the sense that what's happening out there in Jeffco is such a level of discontent. I'm not convinced voters are going to distinguish. I'm not convinced voters are going to look at Julie Williams' relative to Witt or the others. I think they're going to say, you know what, this whole thing is such a mess, we're so angry that it's time to do something. We voted them in, we're just taking them all out right now and trying to get to a different place and see if we can reset this board and the relationship and the operation of our schools and get a better result. So it'll be interesting to watch, but if I had to wager right now, I'd bet on all three of them being recalled. Ed C. Lever from the Denver Business Journal, wrap it up for us.
4: Well, I'm going to go with the exact opposite way, of Penn, and here is why. Back in 2014, I talked to the AFL-CIO a little bit about their campaign strategies, in, in Jeffco specifically, which was a swing, a key swing county, and they said there was such anger that we are really bringing that up. The school board, hey, do you want more of the Republicans like the school board has given us? Well, Republicans had a great year in 2014 in the elections out there. I mean, people like Laura Woods, who's nowhere close to a moderate, got elected uh, in Uh, In in Jeffco. I wonder if this is another example of small uh, but loud groups saying let's get rid of them. I mean, and this is going to be a very small turnout election that we're going to see here because it's not planned for the 2016 uh, general ballot. Um, So I think it's going to be tough. I mean, recalls are, as Patty said, the hip thing to do in Colorado right now. Um, I also question if this does work, is anyone in Jeffco going to be safe to serve out their entire term? if they say controversial things.
0: True. Democratic state lawmaker Morgan Carroll announced her bid for Congress in the 6th Congressional District this week, taking on incumbent Republican Mike Kaufman. Meanwhile, State Senator Lucia Guzman will replace Carroll as Democratic Senate Minority Leader when all that pairs uh, appears out next week. Uh, Patty, this... Uh, I think this is an intriguing matchup. I mean, Morgan Carroll has not run on a statewide or congressional level, but she's a seasoned Colorado politician. Uh, she certainly creates a different situation for Mike Kaufman. But uh, Mike Kaufman is no slouch. He has fought in some bitterly fought elections these last few years. What do you think?
1: Well, I think. It would have been Morgan Carroll might have wanted to run last time just because every election Kaufman gets more and more comfortable in this new redistricted um, place. So he is getting he's now like Ed Perlmutter in the other party, but in the sense that he it's pretty much his. Although Morgan Carroll, as we've seen in the legislature, is a good fighter. She is a good speaker. She um, it certainly speaks her mind and, uh, and talks up, and I think she'll be a good debater with him. She'll liven up the election a lot. Will she bring in the amount of money that's going to be necessary? Depends really on how hard the Democrats want this seat. We certainly are seeing around the country that they're saying this is going to be one of the big fights. I think now that she's stepped up as early as she has, it means we aren't going to really see any other Democrats jump in. It's going to be hers to win Maybe more likely hers to lose. She's got an uphill battle, but it's going to be an interesting one. Glad she's staying in, this, in the uh, in Colorado legislature. And I'm also really glad Lucia, Lucia Guzman is a great, great senator, and she'll be a good minority leader.
0: David, what do you uh, put the odds on for Morgan Carroll's chances? I mean, there, there may be a significant um, uh, Democratic ticket with Hillary Clinton that may help or hinder Morgan Carroll, but she's going up against Mike Hoffman, who up there with Ed Perlmutter, is one of the, the more uh, voracious uh, uh, campaigners out there uh, in Colorado politics. What do you think?
2: Well, I think that the, the standard national political conventional wisdom is that this race is now a toss-up. She is a formidable candidate. Uh, her political skills are not only the ones she's developed in her own life, but her, her political DNA is about as powerful as you can have in Colorado. In the 1940s show, we were talking about Denver District Attorney Carroll, uh, that the Carroll family has been involved as winning, usually winning candidates in Colorado politics You know, since the 1930s. Uh, so she's going to be very strong. And Mike Kaufman also works very hard, so I think you can look at this nationally as a national A plus versus A plus uh, marquee matchup of, of really excellent candidates on both sides. And I'd certainly agree with uh, Patty that choosing Lucia Guzman as the uh, Democratic minority leader uh, was a was a great choice. She is certainly uh, solidly, ardently on the, you know, the left wing of her party, but also a person who uh, really works well uh, with Republicans. The Colorado Statesman did an article uh, a few weeks ago about her good relationship and bipartisan work uh, with Senator John Cook from Greeley, who's a very conservative guy, but they found ways they could work together on constructive, common sense uh, solutions.
0: Penn, obviously uh, Morgan comes with a long list of successes on the state uh, legislature level. Um, But running for Congress is a whole different banana, especially CD6, which is going to get millions of dollars of national money put into it. Uh, How do you feel uh, Morgan Carroll will fare?
3: Well, you're right. There'll be millions of dollars put in this race. and my initial take is that Morgan Carroll will fare far better than Andrew Romanoff did, simply because she lives in the district and she's from there. And I think that was Andrew's greatest shortcoming. And frankly, some of the prior races Andrew had picked had created some problems for him within the, what should have been a Democratic base. Morgan doesn't suffer from any of that. But but I also think that um, Democrats in general are, are very foolish if they underestimate how hard Mike Kaufman is willing to work and I suspect he may be more popular in the district than people give him credit for. He's a smart guy, he's a good campaigner, Um, he has sort of been on I think, in the minds of some, on, on the, the right fringe on a few issues, and how that gets woven into Morgan's campaign is going to be interesting and important. But, you know, that's sort of home base for her. Um, and she wasn't districted into it. She's been there, and, and unlike even Mike. So I, I think it's going to be an interesting race. We'll have to see with Emily's List and some of the other national organizations that support women do. They'll probably dump a lot of money uh, into this race, particularly in light of who may be the Democratic presidential nominee so Morgan is going to be formidable and she knows how to run a good ground game too so it's going to be fascinating to watch
0: and uh was this the expected run as I mean, you're kind of our man on the scene at the Capitol as, as you were watching this last legislative session go? Did, is this kind of where everyone thought things were going to be happening?
4: Well, actually, the funny thing is for years, a lot of people at the Capitol expected Morgan Carroll was going to run for the Open AG seat, the Open Attorney General seat in 2014. And we're quite surprised when she passed on it and let Don Quick be the Democratic nominee. Um, but, I mean, Carroll obviously is someone who's risen up through her party. She's someone who's very ambitious. It's not a a huge surprise to see that uh, see that this is how it's coming around. I think one of the real factors in this race that nobody's talking about is going to be who are the Republicans going to get to run for the race that Mike Kaufman passed on, the Senate race? If they can get a top-tier candidate, and mind you, their top candidate, Kaufman, is already out of that race. But, you know, I, I, I still argue that if they could get someone like a George Brockler to run for it and really put some heat on Bennett, that will probably make it harder for Carroll because more of the money will be flowing toward Michael Bennett and defending that seat. However, if they can't find a top-tier candidate, suddenly... People can back away from that race. They can look at this one. They can put more money into it. And all of a sudden, it's a free-for-all. I, I agree with everyone. Mike Kaufman is going to be a tough candidate to beat. Uh, I think that the scare that he encountered in 2012 with Joe McCloskey, which nobody thought was going to be a, a race, uh, caused him to get to know his district better in 2014. And I think he's a little more cemented, especially with his going out and going to bat for the Aurora, v- uh, you know, for the Aurora VA, not for the VA, but for constructing the hospital, um, but it'll be interesting to see how all the chips fall and where this falls in line of who's going to contribute.
0: A good point. In a 4-3 vote, the Colorado Supreme Court rejected the Douglas County Schools Vouchers Program based on the Blaine Amendment, which bans the use of public funds for religious schools. Program supporters hope to get the case heard in the U.S. Supreme Court because similar Blaine Amendments exist and affect 37 other states. Uh, David, you're one of our two esteemed attorneys at the table, so I'm going to hand it directly off to you. What does this decision mean? Are we any, are, what, do you, what does it mean for Douglas County?
2: It's a a split decision of the the four justices who voted to strike down the Douglas County program. Three of them, as you said, voted on the basis of our Blaine Amendment, but that's only a plurality, and it doesn't set precedent. The fourth vote was provided by Justice Marquez, our, our newest justice, in what I thought was a very powerful opinion, saying we don't even need to get to the Constitution because the structure of the program violates the Colorado School Finance Act. The other six justices said no, no, no we don't, nobody has standing to challenge that, but she got to that issue. And I'm not an expert on that topic, but I think she made some powerful arguments. The th- plurality that relied on the Blaine Amendment had a much more difficult time, because that, that amendment, which part of our original Constitution, which says you, you can't give government aid to religious institutions, including religious schools, the other argument is, well, we're not aiding religious schools. We're giving just people a scholarship, which they can take to a religious or non-religious school, whatever. And the Colorado Supreme Court had upheld a very similar program for college education. What we have, you, if you're a Colorado resident, you get a voucher that you can take to CU or Regis or whatever. And there, the, the pluralities attempt to distinguish that were very far-fetched and and hard-working, and I feel sorry for whoever had to write uh, that part of the unpersuasive uh, opinion. Justice Ide with two other justices, said that they should follow the original, the the, the college analogy. And besides that, there is some question about whether the Blaine Amendment, which certainly had anti-Catholic animus as at least a very important motivation, uh is constitutional uh, under the United States First Amendment's prohibitions on uh, discrimination, even on neutral laws that are written in a neutral way, but which are written so as to target uh, a particular religious group the most recent case being one where uh, the Santeria religion in Florida was targeted by a city statute uh, in, for their animal sacrifice, even though the statute didn't say, we hate Santeria. Uh, you could certainly read that between the lines of what had happened.
0: Penn, what do you think? Like I said, you're one of our we're two esteemed lawyers at the table. Um, some supporters are talking about say, this can be our case for the U.S. Supreme Court about Blaine amendments. It, is that wishful thinking is this does it end here what are you where are you at
3: i, I wouldn 't call it wishful in terms of fantasy, but it 's hopeful thinking. Uh, I, I think a number of people believe that one of the core issues in this case is you 've got the state Supreme Court ruling on the validity of a program based on Colorado constitutional provisions in Colorado law, and it is not that usual for the u s Supreme Court to take a case and interpret you know, for itself, how state laws or a state constitution should be read, applied, and interpreted. That's usually deferred to the state. So I think moving this into the federal court system is is a a bit of a reach. The other thing that that I think makes this case a, a bit difficult for the proponents of the program is the way Douglas County structured their program Although they may argue with a straight face that it wasn't an intent to support religious institutions, they really structured it so that, you know, the majority of the schools for, that are qualified to receive these vouchers um, are religiously based and affiliated, and almost all of the high schools that have been approved under their program have a religious um, base to them, and they were, the, the schools were given the ability to discriminate among school applicants based on those faith-based principles, and I think a number of people at their core say this may not be anti-Catholic or anything else. The Constitution says what it says, and we don't want public funds to establish any any religion, not just Catholicism or Protestant religion, but any religion, and so I think this is a tough case for Douglas County to get around, and I'm not convinced they have any recourse to the federal judiciary. I'm, I'm not convinced they'll take this case.
0: And what about the voucher? Uh argument here in Colorado. Does this decision uh, stoke the fire? Does it damper the fire? What do you, where are you at?
4: Well, as someone who is neither a lawyer nor esteemed, um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I'll just say that it, there has been very little talk of vouchers for the nine years I've been in the State House. I know this is something that was very big around the mid-2000s time. Um, but, but when Republicans couldn't even get it through uh, their own caucus uh, at that point when they had control, I, I think Enthusiasm really waned for it. Uh, you've seen a bill go through the last couple of years that is trying to give tax breaks to people who send their kids to private schools. Um, even that's not going anywhere. I don't know. I think with so much going on in the state, I don't know that there is going to be a cause celebrate to take this up and make this a legislative rather than a judicial issue. I think they like the idea of doing it on a district-by-district basis, um, but I could be wrong. We'll
0: see. Patty, wrap it up for us.
1: Well, it's interesting that we kind of got sidetracked on the Blaine Amendment issue because there are other things not to like in this Douglas County voucher program, and Justice Marquez did point out another problem with it. So I think it'll be in a legal boondoggle for quite some time, and I think Ed's absolutely right. I think charters have kind of taken the fire away from vouchers, and that's certainly the direction a lot of public school districts are going in setting up specialty schools.
0: The U.S. Supreme Court ruled this week that a lawsuit over Colorado's Tabor Amendment will be sent back to the 10th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. Opponents of Tabor have tried to overturn the law based on the argument that it takes away taxing authority from the state legislature. Uh, again, Penn, we go to you on this legal issue. Uh, what does this mean? Is it, is it a victory for the opponents? Is it a victory for the proponents? Where, what is it?
3: You know, it's a great decision because everyone's declaring victory and they're ready to go <laughs> home. So it, it means victory for everyone. Now, th- this case is still pivoting around a very um, preliminary issue, and that is who has standing in the legal context. That is basically who has the lawful right to bring a case to challenge the validity or the applicability of TABOR. That's the only issue really on the table right now, Who's, who can correctly raise the issue. And opinions vary. Um, there are many who believe that the the way the court sent this back uh, to the lower court in light of another decision sort of implies that if you look at the other Arizona decision, some will argue, well, gee, standing was granted there only for specific things and particular reasons that don't line up in this case. And others say, well, gee, that was a a case where you're applying specific facts to the law and we think in our case we can make a same or comparable argument and that it'll be found that we can challenge Tabor, then we can get to the merits of this. In the meantime, there are efforts in the background to start raising some issues among the electorate and perhaps put some things on the ballot that will resolve this issue or at least address it um, through an electoral process. Uh, This is going to be a long time before we have an answer to this. It is fascinating to watch because it's got a combination of substantive law, all of the procedural quirks you could hope for uh, in a court case, and the drama of bouncing up and down through the federal judiciary, um, which moves much more slowly than the state courts do. So this will be around for a while and interesting reading and watching. Ed, do you feel that
0: opponents prefer the, the legal route of trying to work on table rather than the electoral route? Absolutely. And, and, I mean, you can just tell that by the fact that, remember, there are a lot of
4: people who are talking about fixing Tabor. But when they talk about fixing Tabor, they're talking about removing some of the restrictions that Tabor has placed on the use of state funds that come in, you know, the, the very specific formulas that have put some to education through Amendment 23 and contrasting with Tabor and uh, some of the other uh, laws in there. Nobody in the legislature has come up with the proposal, hey, let's stop letting people vote on tax hikes. No, this is, it's, it's about as anti pop anti-populist a movement as you're going to find. I mean, and, and I don't and what, what's really surprising is that there are three legislators who are plaintiffs in this case, none of whom have ever introduced a bill to try to ask the voters to repeal the taxing uh, the tax requirement vote-getting provisions of Tabor. Um, so yeah, I mean I think they see this as a legal route and I do. I think if this were to become a political issue, I don't think a lot of people are paying attention to the court system right now. If this were to become a political issue, I think it's got some back blow to it. This is not just a Republican versus Democrats issue. I mean, yes, Democrats may want to be able to bring in more money for some programs that they support more than Republicans. But I think if you go out to the general public and say, hey, do you want to be able to vote on whether to raise taxes? I'm pretty sure a large number is going to say yes. So I think this is going to have to be determined through the courts. I don't think it is a legislative
0: issue. Uh, Patty, what do you think? Is this uh, just the one more chapter on the long issue of fighting uh, Tabor?
1: The endless uh, fight (laughs) against Tabor. It's so amazing to think in 1992, we voted for Amendment 2 and we voted for Tabor. And Amendment 2 got tossed pretty quickly by the Supreme Court. But here, 23 years later, we are still just beginning the legal arguments in the courts over Tabor. And we still are hearing there are going to be fixes proposed in the legislature, but we don't really see the will to push them through. We're going to have a couple ballot measures in November, including the marijuana tax ballot measure that will come up, which will remind people what Tabor does. And I think Ed's exactly right, that people like the idea of being able to vote on taxes. There still are some clunky parts of Tabor that need to be fixed, and someone in the legislature is going to have to take that on someday.
0: David, what's your quick take on the decision?
2: It's been fatally the anti-taper lawsuit has been fatally wounded. David Skaggs is an outstanding lawyer who will try to prolong the death process as long as possible, but the, the end is inevitable. The Supreme Court vacated the decision of the Tenth Circuit saying that a handful of legislators has standing to sue. And the Supreme Court in the Arizona redistricting case said the Arizona legislature has standing to sue because it was the Arizona legislature as a whole by an official act of the legislature and they said we vacate what you did in the Tenth Circuit now why don't you just think about it again taking into account what we said about Arizona that's a pretty clear signal and if the case ever got to the merits Justice Ginsburg issued a ringing endorsement of the people's right of of initiative and referendum uh, and as part of democracy and said, even though the, the Constitution says the legislature has to do congressional redistricting, if the people want to take that away from the legislature and have an independent commission do it, they can, because all legislative power comes from the people. So that's the end of the merits of the case, should a court ever get to
1: it.
0: Well, let's get to our very favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. Patty, as always, start us off.
1: Well, just today, Catherine Archuleta resigned as head of the Office of Personnel Management, which is a sad end to a really good career as a public servant. She worked with Lamb, she worked with Pena, then she went to Washington after President Obama was elected. She is not responsible for 22 million people having their uh, private information out there, but she recognizes that she's in charge, and so she left. David.
2: David. RTD for not having buses to come back from uh, on July 4th from Denver to Boulder for people who went to watch the fireworks at the Civic Center. That's their standard policy on July 4th. You go watch the fireworks at Folsom Field. Uh, They don't have any extra buses for that. Instead, they're running on the Saturday schedule of, like, one bus once an hour. The fireworks events are not some sudden surprise, and RTD is consistently (laughs) contemptuous of people who want to take buses back for mass events, and that's why they really do show why it's important that everyone own a car, because you do have a reason to
3: drive. Penn. Grandmother Brenda Little Spotted Horse um, for attending the fireworks display and just um, forgetting to Take her granddaughter in the stroller home with her, but maybe it was because she figured she couldn't get on an RTD bus <laughs> with the stroller, so it'd be easier just to leave her there and let somebody else deliver her. Ed.
4: You, you know, Greece's Alexis Tsipras may yet pull out a uh, last minute deal to avert economic ruin in his country, but the lackadaisical way that he's gone about trying to fix this really shows that, uh, that this country is in trouble far beyond whatever comes out of this weekend's talks.
0: Say something nice rather quickly, Patty.
1: Plan your transportation carefully next weekend because the Biennial of the Americas is back. They've got some great programs in Civic Center, much more accessible than previous biennials. Look at the schedule, and you'll want to see a lot of it.
2: Senators Bennett and Gardner for introducing bipartisan legislation to remove the federal prohibition on lawful use of banking services uh, by marijuana businesses in states where it's legal.
3: Penn, just a shout out to our community and some of the great things that happen. I had the opportunity to visit the Street Taco event a couple of weeks ago. It was phenomenal. Yeah. Keeping on the food theme, what Patrick O'Neill and Rob Hahn have done is setting up
4: a Avanti Food and Beverage, which I got to visit last night, is great. It's a great incubator for food entrepreneurs and a really great place where families can go to enjoy things. I hope we see more of these
0: markets popping
4: up across Denver.
0: I'll have something to say, something nice. while well, I wish a quick happy birthday to my Uncle Richard. I promised if it landed on a Friday, I would do so. It's one of the quick perks I have as a host. So happy birthday, Uncle Richard. That is all the time we have tonight. Thanks for tuning in. Remember that you can catch any part of the show or CIO postgame online, and be sure to check out the CIO podcast on iTunes. Also, if you missed our latest trip in the time machine last week, go to our website and check out our trip to 1940. For everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Dominic Dazuti. Thanks for watching. Good night.